I'm excited to open the Word of God with you. Uh, we did an overview of First uh, and Second Timothy, the letters of the Apostle Paul to his true son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a pastor at a church in the ancient city of Ephesus, which was known for its polytheism, the worship of many gods. Uh, it was a dark place. It was a strategic place for the gospel mission going to the nations, but it was not fertile soil. There was hostility on the outside of the church, and there was hostility on the inside of the church. And Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, who was, was given leadership to this particular church to lead it forward and to fight for the, in the good fight of the gospel of grace in the person of Jesus. So uh, typically um, when I am uh, getting a message together, I'm always thinking about like, you know, what's a good introduction and a good conclusion? And I've got some splashes of commentary or a story or whatever throughout the uh, journey. And today we're just going to get right in it. I'm just going to bypass the fluff and we're just going to get into the word. Amen. Uh, I will have a little splash of humor in the middle. I'll tell a story. So hopefully you'll laugh. But if not, that's okay. That's okay. I've been doing this a long time. I can keep on rolling, Gregory. I can keep on rolling. No, yeah, you. Red beard, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, letters to Timothy, appointed to service. Fight the good fight. Fulfill your ministry. This is a practical letter. Paul is encouraging Timothy in the alignment of theology and our lives and the work that is to be done in the mission of the gospel. Um, let's start. I'm just going to read the salutation, first couple of verses. Uh, this will be an uh, outline that I will build on as we move along in the series. Um, we'll do the salutation today. And then the rest of chapter one is Timothy's personal commission from the Apostle Paul. Uh, we will get just through the first seven verses today. We're going to do this journey kind of expository uh, teaching style verse by verse. So we're going to take our time. We're not going to motor through things. We're going to uh, read slowly and study slowly and learn uh, what God wants us to uh, learn in this series. So let me read the salutation uh, from Paul to Timothy. First uh, Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm going to pause there. It's interesting that he gives his credentials right away because Paul and Timothy, they knew each other. I mean, they served together. Paul and Timothy went on mission together. The second and the third uh, missionary journeys of Paul in the book of Acts, uh, Timothy had already been commissioned by Paul to go to Thessalonica. They had a lot of ministry experience together. And so why would he say an apostle? Well, you're writing a letter to the leader in the church in Ephesus. And we know from Acts 20 when Paul was leaving, that feels a little hot to me. Um, when he was leaving, uh, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth, a lot of emotion, a lot of tears, right? Like there was, there was a connection of Paul's heart to the church in Ephesians. So when Timothy, the, the pastor in, Ephes uh, in Ephesus, gets a letter from Paul, do you not think that everyone there in the church wanted to know what Paul had to say? I mean, it's just like this personal letter. By the way, we should get back to writing personal letters. I haven't received a personal letter in a long time, nor have I written a personal letter in a long time, except Lindsay's birthday, her birthday. I wrote some kind things to my sweetie. She's 47. <laughs> what? What? Tell us. I'm 49. She's 47. 
Yeah, she looks 30. Yes, she does. He writes his personal letter. Other people are going to be privy to what Paul says in the letter. And so he's given his authority to anyone who is uh, hearing this letter or reading this letter. I'm giving you my authority as an apostle who has been given direct command and authority from Jesus himself so that people understand the authority that Paul is giving. Okay, so an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and of Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the salutation. A couple of uh, quick things to point out um, in Paul's other um, pastoral epistles. You don't see mercy included. Usually it's grace and peace from God. And this letter, he includes mercy And I think that begs the question, that's interesting. Why is it in all the other epistles, but what specifically was going on with Timothy or particularly in Ephesus that Paul also includes mercy, the need for mercy? So I just want you to hold that, maybe write that down on the side of your note taker, write it down, uh, just hold that. Uh, But that's interesting when we read the salutation. Another interesting thing in the salutation, it's the only salutation in all of the letters of Paul where he uses that particular strong language by the command of God. So we have two really interesting things in the first few verses that aren't in the other epistles, mercy and the command of God. What's he talking about? Uh, Paul is saying again, I walk in authority because God commanded me. Authority was something really important for Paul to convey and commission to Timothy so that Timothy felt the weightiness and the empowerment of his authority as a leader in the church that was getting pressed from the polytheism of Ephesus and the false teaching that was going on and the controversies that were stirring up inside the church. Uh, Timothy needed his authority and he needed to know he was empowered to fight this good fight of the truth of the gospel. And so Paul tells him again, we carry authority because God has commanded it uh, to us. Uh, And then he says, uh, the God of salvation and of Christ Jesus, our uh, our hope. Uh, We just sang the song, my hope is in you only. Right, I think that was the second song we sang. My hope is in you, Jesus, only. Right, do you guys believe that? Like it's, or are there other places in life where we actually receive like real supernatural hope from, or is it in Jesus only? Only, I mean, the language that Paul uses here is Jesus Christ, our hope. I want to talk about biblical hope with you for just a moment. It's not a form, a warm, fuzzy optimism. We're just self-talking ourselves into having an optimism about some future circumstance or event. And so, when we invite people to biblical hope, God, our salvation, and Jesus, our hope. We're inviting them to consider something that's really, really gospel-inclusive. Like grace, the grace of God is inclusive and it welcomes all to come. But the door through which we walk to have hope, Jesus says, is narrow. Narrow is the way. It's an interesting thing to hold biblically. That the, 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 the door or the way is narrow and many will walk away from it. But the door actually is so radically inclusive, like it welcomes all to come, but it's in Jesus alone. 
Paul says this in Acts 4 on the narrowness of our hope in Jesus alone. Jesus, um, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the, those that crucified Christ. Acts chapter 4, Jesus, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Um, My hope is in you only, Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection. Um, Remember where Timothy was. He's in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus, uh, polytheism um, is the predominant religion of the city. And the biblical hope of Jesus alone is antithetical to polytheism. It's also antithetical to a postmodern worldview. I don't think I need to try to convince you as a teacher that polytheism is still pretty rampant in 2022. There are many gods out there and many messages And the Christian worldview centers the worldview on Jesus alone. The truth of the gospel, Jesus alone, by faith alone, and grace alone. And so that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy in at the beginning of this letter in this predominant polytheistic postmodern worldview. Postmodernism is associated with relativism. Like a postmodern worldview is relative and... um, It's the embrace of randomness, and it would reject a postmodern polytheistic worldview, would reject a Christian worldview, because a Christian worldview narrows the focus in Jesus alone. It's radically inclusive to come, and all are invited to come, but the way is Jesus. Uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through but through me. Um, Biblical hope in Jesus alone is an anchor for our souls in the Christian worldview. And so he gives that empowerment to Timothy. And then he says in verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God and Jesus to you, Timothy. Um, Grace is amazing. Amazing grace, right? Grace is amazing because we don't have another option. Like, grace is amazing, the unmerited favor of God. It's amazing because we haven't done anything to earn it, to do, to get it. But God, in his mercy and his grace, he has given it to us in Jesus. It's so amazing because it's so antithetical to the way the world works. Perform, earn, achieve, right? It's so amazing because we're not worthy of it, but we get it anyway because of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Okay. Lord, have mercy. Mercy. I'm from the South. Lord, have mercy. It's another phrase like, uh, bless your heart. Lord, have mercy. Well, the truth of the matter is mercy is a salve, a salve to our desperate need for God's compassion to us. Peace with God has been accomplished for us by Jesus by Jesus' death on the cross for us. Like, Jesus himself is our peace, Ephesians 2. Like, we have peace with God because of Jesus. And so Paul is just pouring the benefits of heaven on Timothy in the salutation. 
And we're going to see why here in just a minute because of what he's going to call him to and what he's going to urge him toward. Uh, he wants to be the, he wants Timothy to receive in a fresh way all of these benefits that we have in Christ, the unmerited favor of God, his grace, the unmerited compassion of God, his mercy, the unmerited forgiveness of God, the peace that we have with God is all true for you, Timothy. And because this is true, you have a hope no matter what, even when life is hard. I think part of this salutation is important for us to, um, to realize is, is sometimes, uh, maybe most of the time, uh, God calls us to stay in a situation that is hard because we have lessons that we need to learn. And we're in this hard thing, and what we need to draw on is not a different circumstance, but we need to draw on the hope that we have in God in the hard circumstance and the grace and the mercy and the peace that we have with God in the circumstance. And that's what I see as we start this letter because Timothy was in a hard situation. He was in a really hard situation and Paul's urging him to stay in that hard situation. But he's saying, but listen to what's true of you in the midst of this hard circumstance. All these benefits from heaven are yours. All right, let's move uh, to uh, three to seven. And these, this will be where we'll spend the rest of our time together today. Um, Paul reminds Timothy, we read some of these verses uh, last uh, week, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to unpack them. So it says, as I urged you, Paul's telling Timothy, as I urged you when I was, went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. If you're a parent and you're urging your kid to do something and you have to urge them a second time, are they typically wanting to do what you're urging them to do? No, you're urging them to do something that's not really in there for them. It would be easier for them to stop. And I don't know what was going on in the inner life of Timothy. But what I know is Paul is urging him to stay, which tells me, like, I wonder where Timothy was. Like, I, I wonder where he was. You know, his mentor wasn't there anymore. His pastor was gone. And he's getting a ton of pressure from this polytheistic like we're worshiping the female goddess of fertility and it permeates every area of life and we're inviting people to the hope in Jesus alone and people hate me because of that and now there's this false teaching inf infiltrating the church and I don't know if you know this but people in the church have opinions about lots of stuff and leadership is lonely sometimes and you get some emails sometimes so Timothy's probably getting some emails I mean he's just I'm just telling you I'm just telling you. And so Paul is urging him to stay. Why would he urge him to stay? Probably because it would have been easier for him to pull the ripcord and get back with Paul or go back home. He's urging him to stay. He's leading him to stay. I urge you when you went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that, here's the purpose of the, both letters, so that you may command. There's that word again, command. We have received the command of God and I, now I am urging you and I am commanding you. And you can command. You have authority to command certain men not to teach false doctrines, false belief any longer. Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Like these people are infiltrating the church and they got this tradition. They have this myth and this genealogy. And they're, just, they're giving people all these formulas 
And that's what the law does. And we're using guilt tactics and shame, shame tactics to get them to do what we want them to do. And we're grabbing this and we're grabbing that. And it's just creating controversy. And it's creating confusion inside the church. And Paul gives him the strong language, command them to stop. It was, it was gonna be, there was going to be conflict here. And Paul was encouraging Timothy to engage in it. Um, these promote, these devoting selves to myths and genealogies, these promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Paul simplifies the entire reality of God's work to faith. And the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Like a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, what comes out of that is, is love. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 6 and 7. Some have wandered away from these. They have wandered away from a sincere faith, from a good conscience, from a pure heart. They have wandered away from God's work as faith and the command is love. They've wandered away from these things. And they have turned to meaningless talk. And they want to be teachers of the law. Like they want authority, they want a platform, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm urging Timothy to stay, um, commanding him to engage in the good fight for the truth of the gospel. Um, important things for Timothy to learn uh, as a leader. Um, certainly um, letting Timothy know, like, yeah, I, I get this isn't going to be easy for you. Um, but I believe, like Paul is telling Timothy, but you have what it takes to fight the good fight of faith. And there's going to be conflict. Um, how many conflict avoiders do we have in here? Just kidding. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> conflict avoiders. Right? If you're a conflict avoider, it's going to be a tough spot. Uh, I'm not sure if Timothy was a conflict avoider. I, I don't think that he was. But regardless, Paul was calling him to action now. All the language is in the present tense. Um, the truth of the gospel was at stake. And people needed help to be free from lies and the controversies that were being stirred up. Um, God's work is simply faith and love. If you want to narrow everything in like Christian worldview vocabulary, I think we can narrow, narrow it to faith and love. Paul certainly narrows it to faith and love in this passage. Um, and I think what's, what's happening in this church was a rejection of the simplicity of faith and the command of love. And they're getting stirred up in all this confusion about, oh, yeah, but then you got to do this, and there's this thing, and then there's, and there's this genealogy you got to find, and there's this and this, and, you know, and I'm listening to this person. I'm listening, who am I supposed to listen to? And it's just all this confusion and all of this angst that was happening in the church. And I think Paul's just saying, Timothy, center the people in faith in Jesus and the love that we receive from Jesus to us and through us to one. Simplify it for people. They're just getting caught up in all these things. Um, and with all of the stuff that was happening, all of the intensity of the moment, not just the uh, press from outside the church, but what was happening inside the church, you might think like Paul might say the command, the command is to correct people. I mean, certainly I think correction is part of the exhortation is passage, but he simplifies it to faith and he simplifies, simplifies it to, to love. Um, I used to 
uh, do a skit in, when I was a student ministry person. And my skit name, I was Dr. Amore. Yes. And I had music, and if I was smart, I would have played the music. I don't remember what music. I did it. John did it. You know what I'm talking about. Do you remember the? Do you remember the? No. <laughs> she doesn't. But the line, I'd walk out to this song, and you know, I'd have this outfit or whatever on. And because if you're gonna do a skit, by the way, if you're gonna do a skit, you gotta have music, and you gotta have a, you gotta have a costume. Like, don't come up in here without a, without a music and a costume. I'm just telling you, that's just free advice. So I had that, but my, my line was, I am Dr. Amore. I am as gentle as a turtle dove. I am Amore. My name means love. First service liked it a lot more than the second. All that to say... That's not what Paul has in mind here. When he says the command is love, that's not what he has in mind. This is not a sentimental turn for Paul. Uh, Love in scripture is not like light and fluffy weakness. Um, The Greek word, when he says the command is love, the Greek word there is agape. And another way to translate agape Um, certainly is love, but another way to translate agape is benevolence. The command is to be benevolent, to receive the benefits from God and to love people as a benefactor. Strong affection, we could translate agape. Um, The great theologian DC Talk, I quoted them last week. I will quote them again. Decent Christian Talk from the 90s. Love is a verb. Anybody know that song? Uh, Or uh, a little bit more modern for you young people, Bob Goff. He wrote that really popular book, Love Does. Love Does. That's what Paul has in mind here. He doesn't have Dr. Amore in mind. He has strong affection, benevolence, agape, sacrificial. And that's what the gospel empowers us to be and do. Theologically, this is interesting, um, pretty powerful. Romans 13, 10. Paul says that love is the total fulfillment of the whole old covenant and new covenant. Everything centers in agape. Love is the motivating force of God sending uh, our, our Savior Jesus to be our hope in his death and in his resurrection. Galatians 2, 20. Love is the motivating force in our sacrificial service back to God and to other people. The command is love. The command is be a benefactor, strong affection. The command is receive the love of God and give the love of God. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us. It moves us to action Because we are convinced that one died for all, Jesus, for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again, it reorients, it reorients us off of the navel gaze. 
to being God-centered and other-centered, which is the way of Jesus. The command is love. God's work is faith. And the command is love. In um, the book Song of Songs, we feel the power of love. Uh, who, who sings that song? Huey Lewis? Yeah, you guys know that? Some of you older people know that song. Um, that's not what I'm going to quote. I was just thinking about that just literally in that moment. Because my line says, we feel the power of what real love is, and instantaneous I went to that song. But I get to officiate a lot of weddings, and I'm grateful that I get to do that. Uh, happy engagement, by the way. Um, and I speak this over a lot of the couples. Um, I think this is what Paul has in mind when he says the command is love. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. That's it's pretty sweet, isn't it? It's pretty powerful imagery. Um, and Paul says here, you, you want to know how to operate and receive and be that kind of love? Let's talk about pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Because where, where these three things are, the result of that is the love I'm talking about. The love to you and the love through you to people. A pure heart. How do you get a pure heart? How does a person get a pure heart? When you read uh, the Old Testament through, you read the New Testament through, the, the reality of, of both Testaments the heart represents the totality of our inner person, what's on the inside of us. Um, so how do, we, how do we get that change? How do we get a pure heart? Uh, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How does a person see God? Well, you believe upon Jesus as our only hope, and you receive his free gift of salvation by his grace and his mercy and his peace. Good conscience. Uh, conscience is an innate God-given ability to make moral judgments. A uh, big theme of the pastoral letters is the alignment between our theology, what we believe, and our lives, how we live. And so right theology lends itself more and more and more to an alignment of our lives, reflecting the glory of God and whom we call Lord, Jesus himself, um, God has given us a conscience, a wisdom in carrying out the command of love. Uh, discernment, discernment between what is right and what is wrong. We, we receive a pure heart, we receive a good conscience, and we have a sincere faith. Um, that word sincere, Paul uses to modify faith only twice in all of his letters. And it's easy to remember where they are because one is 1 Timothy 1.5, and the other is 2 Timothy 1.5. And both times, he uses the word sincere to modify faith. And I just want to um, explain that. Uh, because it's not, um, sincere faith isn't dealing with the question of whether someone has faith or no faith. Like, do you, do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? Do you believe that he lived? Do you believe that he died and rose again and that God sent him as our, as our atoning sacrifice and that in Jesus is life and hope and peace and joy and a certainty of hope beyond this life to eternal life and the scriptures reveal Jesus? Like, do you believe that or do you not believe that? That's not what Paul's talking about. It's not a salvation thing. 
in this, in this place. Um, he's not talking about whether somebody has great faith or little faith. He's talking about whether someone's faith is, is genuine or if it's fake or postured or hypocritical. And he says the result of sincere faith and the result of a good conscience and the result of a pure heart is agape. Like over the course of time, you will see agape happen in your life to the degree that your life becomes about the glory of God and the good of others more than it becomes about you. It's like almost like grace releases us from our own selfishness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, one of the major themes of the letters um, is whether a person has like personal, um, sincere faith. Um, and it's, this is the first mention of it in the letter. And we'll see it uh, pop up again and again. Uh, how our life, like what we believe matters, but how we live our lives matter as witnesses. Would you guys agree with that? This isn't like pastoral, like guilt, like just... Like what we believe matters, that there's a message to that, but there's also a message to how we live. That's just real talk, right? That's just real talk. Um, and Paul's like, man, over the course of time, there, as we're following Jesus, we become more like Jesus. Where we live, where we work, where we play. Uh, I said this last week, I want to say it again, like you're not, in, you're not infallible, I'm not infallible. There's, we're not perfect, we're in process, certainly. We're flawed human beings, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to make mistakes. Uh, our flesh, the lies of our flesh, the lies of this world, it's, it's, it's going to get in the way. It's going to trip us up. It's going to entice us off of the way of Jesus, which is exactly why I want us to embrace and lean in to letters like First and Second Timothy. It's why we need letters like First and Second Timothy. They they reorient our, our priorities to heaven. They, they reset our value system. They, 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 they help us understand the way of Jesus and the way of his grace, and they train us up in righteousness. Um, again, Paul's urging is not just doctrine, what to believe, but in the alignment between doctrine and our lives. Um, I want to I finish um, the last two verses. I, I teach from um, an NIV Bible, but I want to pull this up in the New Living Translation and just work through uh, these last two verses from the NLT because I think Paul is uh, helping us uh, glean some discernment around how we listen to messages and how we discern truth from error. The whole purpose of these letters is, is, is to Timothy fighting the good fight and commanding um, men who are teaching falsehood to, um, to stop and to help people understand the truth so that they will be freed in the truth. So if you, um, I, I don't remember where I learned this. I think, Lindsay, you probably taught me this. I don't know where you learned it. But if someone's uh, becoming equipped to uh, find counterfeit money, they don't spend their time studying counterfeit money. They spend their time studying real money. The touch of it, what's on there. And they, they, they learn the truth over and over. And they become so in tune with the truth of real money. When, whenever there's a counterfeit, they know immediately right away how it's counterfeit. Because they're so aligned with what's true. Does that make sense? And I think that's what Paul is wanting Timothy um, to have and discern. And I think it's what the scriptures want us to have and discern this morning. Uh, and I think that's what the uh, verses 6 and 7 
uh, are about. And so he says, um, some people have missed the whole point. Some people in the church, they've missed the whole point. What's the whole point? God's work is by faith, and the command is love. And they're missing the point. The point is faith in Jesus and the love of Jesus. And they've missed the whole point. Um, They have turned away from sincere faith. And they spend time in meaningless discussions. They're stirring up controversies. And they're confusing people in the church. Um, We know uh, 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. They're stirring up confusion and controversy. They want to be known as teachers, but they don't know what they are talking about, even though they speak so confidently. They're, they are fake. They are posturing for authority. They are posturing for a fame, fortune, notoriety, reputation. So, you know, in this day, a teacher, I mean, the scripture, I mean, they didn't even have the New Testament in first century Ephesus. I mean, they're going on the command of Timothy and the command of Paul from the command of God. But we have the scriptures, but we also have a lot of other messages. I mean, you can listen to any teacher teach on anything you want, about anything you want, Christian or non-Christian, whenever you want on your smartphone, unless you're really, really smart and you have rejected the smartphone and you are to a flip phone. And if that is you, if that is you, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. With so many messages, so many, we need discernment as people who know Jesus, follow Jesus. When I'm hearing a message, I'm hearing a teacher, I'm hearing uh, a teaching, myself included, that we have discernment to listen and process and be able to discern between truth and error. And so that includes myself. And so what I want to do with you is look at these verses and go, okay, um, how can we do that practically when we're listening to messages? Uh, and I just, these are uh, five practical questions for you to ask. Uh, and I hope that it's helpful for you. Um, this is certainly not an exhaustive list. Uh, it's not anything that I grabbed from some other place. It's just um, things that I think about and I want to offer to you uh, to think about when, we are, when we're thinking about truth um, and the gospel. So here are five questions, and there are more, certainly, but here are five that I want to offer you today. When you are listening to a teaching or a teacher, does the teaching promote peace or confusion? Does it create angst in you? Does it create controversy in you, confusion in you, or does it bring you to a place of grace and mercy and peace? Jesus himself is our peace. God is not a God of confusion but of peace like what's happening inside secondly does the teaching release people to freedom and God's abounding grace or to religious bondage with pressure and guilt right is it are there guilt tactics are there shame tactics are there fear tactics that are happening uh, and is it creating like is it creating like pressure in me Uh, or is it is it releasing me by the empowerment of God by the grace of God and the mercy of God to to be transformed in the renewing of my mind and my life my life is changing and I'm moving in that direction not because I feel like somebody has 
me by the back of the net and they're dragging me through the, the mud, but they're showing me a way that's beneficial to me and my desire is changing. And I'm operating in an, in, in an atmosphere of freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to another yoke of slavery, meaning don't submit again to adding something to Jesus to be saved. That's what was happening in the church in Galatia. The entire book of Galatians is Paul helping the Galatian church understanding the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. Thirdly, does the teaching make much of Jesus or much of the teacher? Or perhaps much of the church or much of the denomination? Or even, like, does it make much of you? Does it make much of Jesus or does it make much of you and me when we read it? I think that's an important question to ask. You might be surprised, maybe you're not surprised, at how much Christian literature there is out there that doesn't make much of Jesus and his grace and his freedom. Or even mention Jesus. But just be careful. Just be careful. Be discerning. Is the teaching grounded in God's word taken in its context or does it rip verses out of context to make it say whatever they want it to say? Like context is king. Like sentences are within paragraphs. Paragraphs are within books and books are within, are within chapters and chapters are within books. Um, just as a way of exhortation. Uh, when you are sitting in a small group and you're reading a passive passage of scripture, um, this is not a great question to ask. Well, what, is, what do you think that means for you? That's not a great question. Why? Because it's like, well, it means this for me. And somebody else says, well, it means this for me. And it means this for me. And the author of the letter, Paul's over here going, it doesn't mean any of that. Like when we're studying scripture, like the question to ask is, what does this mean? mean and we need to always as students of the word like what does it mean in its original context to the original hearers and then we can say okay now what relevance what application does that have for me here and now but what does it mean first then and there we got to talk first about context then and there before we move it to our lives here and now does that make sense Context is king, and Scripture doesn't contradict itself. Scripture interprets Scripture. Let's read it in its context. So we ask, what does this mean? What is Paul saying to Timothy about the church in Ephesus, first and foremost? And then, 2022, Two Rivers Church, Fort Collins, Colorado, how do we understand this for us today? And we need wisdom, and we need discernment in those conversations. Fifthly, is the teaching... And the teacher humble. Right? Um, use your discernment. Ask for feedback. Uh, where there are many counselors, there is victory. It's a, one of the Proverbs. Um, so I hope this is helpful. And I'm not removing myself from the scrutiny. Um, it's a humbling thing. And a terrifying thing. To stand up on a stage and open the Bible and teach it. So I'm not removing myself from the scrutiny. Um, 
I submit myself to it. And I just, I want you to walk in discernment because there is a lot of false teaching out there still today. God's work is faith. His command is love. Galatians 6.14, worship team, you guys can come back up. Paul says this, Galatians 6.14, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then he says this in Acts 20, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus had given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. The message is this, God, our salvation, Jesus, our only hope, God's work is faith, and his command is the agape love of God to you and through you. And Jesus says, come to me if you're weary. I'll give you rest. Because my yoke, my teaching, my way is easy and my burden is light, light. Lord, thank you for this time together in your word. Um, I pray, um, God, that you would appoint us to service in a fresh way in the series. That we would feel empowered to fight the good fight. That we would feel blessed privileged and anointed to fulfill our ministry. We have been reminded of important things today. That as we receive a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, it will result in agape transforming everything in our lives. And I pray, I pray for that, a freshness fresh revelation of the agape love of God to us in Jesus, our hope. Would you stir us, Lord, in your spirit? Would you fill us with your spirit as we sing these last songs this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.